Today being Trinity Sunday, the first Sunday after Pentecost, this morning I want to talk about experiencing God as He truly is. Experiencing God as He truly is. And to experience God as He truly is, is to experience God as Holy Trinity. And that's so because that's what God is. God is Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is to say that that category of existence that we call God, or that we call the divine, exists and has always existed, and always will exist. That category of existence that has always existed, and is shared fully, equally, with three persons, and those three persons are the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Indeed, that's the first thing that I'd like us to notice. In particular, that to experience God as Holy Trinity is to experience God as He is and as God is revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Indeed, there are many things in the life and ministry of Jesus that speak of His divinity, that He's part of this Trinity that we are referring to, that He is equal in some sense with God the Father, and that the Holy Spirit is also God. So that the revelation that we have of God in Jesus Christ as he speaks of himself, as he speaks of the Spirit, as he speaks of the Father, is that God the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And that, that this God, this trinity of persons, is even suggested in many of the events of Jesus' life. For instance, at his baptism, interestingly enough. And this is a traditional reference to the trinity. In Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 16, we read, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. There's Jesus, he's the Son. And there's the Holy Spirit who comes and rests upon him like a dove, the Spirit of God. Verse 17, And behold, a voice from heaven. Whose voice? <laughs> Well, listen, I think you might be able to figure it out. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son. That's the voice of the Father with whom I'm well pleased. And so it is baptism. There's the Son, and there's the Father, and there's the Holy Spirit. Another example that God is a trinity of persons is seen in the way in which Jesus describes God. In particular, this reading that we just had from the 28th, of, uh, 28th chapter of Matthew, sometimes referred to as the Great Commission. And it's interesting, if you look closely the way that, God, that Jesus refers to God, the divine, and what we have in English is a, is a direct translation of the Greek as we have it in Matthew's Gospel. But we read in Matthew 28, Jesus said in this Great Commission, to his disciples, he has, uh, he has risen from the dead. He hasn't yet ascended. But he has a commission for them after his ascension. We've been talking about this these last couple of weeks as we're going through the Christian year and this 
the church calendar, which is based upon the life experience of Christ and his church. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name. Not in the names, but in the name. Naman, as it is in the Greek. Baptize them in the name. Well, what's the name? Well, the name is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's God's name. God's name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Have you ever wondered why do we say that at the beginning of the Eucharistic liturgy? Blessed be God. Well, who's God? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so that's the first thing, to experience God as Holy Trinity, is to experience God as God is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Secondly, to experience God as Holy Trinity is to experience God as God is revealed in the Hebrew Scriptures, which sometimes we refer to as the Old Testament. Indeed, even in the Old Testament, prior to the revelation of God that we have in the person of Jesus Christ, we find seemingly hints of divine plurality. And so even as Jack read this morning from Genesis chapter 1, we read Genesis 1 and verse 26, and then God said... God said, let us <laughs> make man in our image after our likeness. This one God who refers to himself in the plural, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Well, how are we to take that? At the time, and in the Old Testament, we don't have any clear revelation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit like we do in the New Testament, like we do in the revelation of Jesus Christ. In fact, the reason why we have it in the New Testament is because Jesus Christ revealed God and, and explained more and, and unveiled more. Apocalypsis, which means an unveiling. <laughs> But there it is. Let us make man in our image. Or Genesis chapter 18, verses 1, and th 1 through 3, where Abraham has this experience of Yahweh, of the Lord. And so we read, And the Lord appeared to Abram, Abraham by the moats of Mamre. It's the Lord appearing to him. And as he sat there at the door of his tent, the Lord appeared. And he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, three men. <laughs> Why? Three men. And behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, plural, he ran from the door of his tent to meet them. And he bowed to the earth and he said to them, O oh Lord, if I have found faith in your sight, do not pass by your servant. How extraordinary. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or in Isaiah's famous vision, which we rehearse every Sunday at Eucharist, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Right? Isaiah chapter 6, and Isaiah the prophet, 
is testifying of his own experience. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, that's one of the kings of Judah, he died in, 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 in 740 B.C., 740 years before Christ. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah was a priest, and in his vision he is in the temple at Jerusalem. Above him, above the Lord, stood the seraphim. These are angelic beings. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy. Let us create man in our image. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and he, when he looked up he saw three men. And the seraphim cry out to God in Isaiah's vision of the Lord Yahweh in the temple, and they cry, Holy one, holy two, holy three. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so God is seemingly as Hank Hanegraaff suggests one what and three who. One what? It's not humanity. God is not humanity. God is the divine. And in that category of existence, that category of existence that we call the divine is shared equally by three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so that's the second thing, to experience God as Holy Trinity, is to experience God as God is revealed to us in the Hebrew Scriptures. Finally, to experience God as Holy Trinity is to experience God as God is proclaimed to us in the writings of the Apostles. If you've spent any time reading the Gospels, and this has happened to me progressively over decades of time, Reading the Gospels and then reading the Apostles. Reading the Gospels and then reading Acts. Reading the Gospels and then reading Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. The letters of Peter. The letters of John. James, the brother of Jesus. The revelation of John. Jude, etc., etc. It's an extraordinary thing. Is that you become more and more familiar with Jesus and what he says in the Gospels. And then compare it to what the Apostles say in their writings. They are saying over and over over what he already said in their way which can be easy to imagine that they're saying something new if you're just reading in a sort of a cursory way and I felt that way I'm, I'm talking about a personal experience I, I thought early on when, in my reading of scripture in particular the New Testament that, that there, was a, there was a great divergence between what Jesus was saying and what his apostles but as time has gone on I keep on going I keep on saying well what Paul is saying there in chapter 3 and verse 13 is just exactly what Jesus said here why are they Trinitarian in their expression and you see it everywhere by the way it's because he is. He's, you want to blame the Trinity on somebody? Blame it on Jesus. Well, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. Of course it's not in the Bible. It's not even in the creeds. 
But the concept is in the creeds for sure, isn't it? In fact, the creeds are built on what we believe about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the New Testament is filled with the most direct expressions of Trinitarian truth. And so that's why we believe it. And so what about the apostles? Indeed, there are many things in the writings of the apostles that speak of the divinity of Jesus. In fact, Jesus can't be part of the Trinity if he's not divine. But this is what leads us to, to this conclusion. Because Jesus did things and said things that the prophets never did. Moses never did. Isaiah, they, they were constantly pointing to God. They never said things like, I and the Father are one. Or if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. <laughs> Or that, the, that you might know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. Isaiah never said, believe in me, and then you shall have eternal life. This idea that Jesus is just another prophet, or he's some kind of a radical political revolutionary, is totally misguided. <laughs> in fact, if he was any of those things, that Jesus, the, the church never even would have gotten off the ground. He rose from the dead just like he said, no one takes my life from me, I take it up of my own accord. And then at the same time, it's the Spirit who raises him and the Father who raises him. Even in the resurrection, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Paul says in Romans, and if the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in your mortal body, he will raise you also on the last day. So it's not just about God, it's about us. Because God, if you know God through Jesus Christ, lives in you. <laughs> but the apostle said many things about the divinity of Jesus, that he forgives sins, that, he, that he's coming to judge the world. In fact, where do we get this? That he, to, to be the judge of the living and the dead? That comes from Acts chapter 10 and verse 42 and is in, uh, shows up in other places in the New Testament. But there in Acts chapter, chapter, chapter 10, Peter is, is telling those who are listening, when he was with us, he, Jesus, told us that he is coming again and he will be the judge of both the living and the dead. That's why it's in the creed. Because Jesus told Peter and the apostles, and Peter shares it with us. He will judge the world. Moses never said that. <laughs> and other places in the scripture where Jesus is directly called God, in Romans 9 and verse 5, God blessed forever, Jesus is referred to. Or in Titus, when we're waiting for the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If he's not God, that's the worst blasphemy that could ever take place. And anyone who says he's not divine isn't reading what the apostles recorded of his own words and their words after him. There are many things that the apostles write about the Holy Spirit and His divinity, even in Genesis, in the second verse of the opening book of the Bible, Genesis 1 and verse 2, and where in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, in verse 2, and the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters. And so the Father creates, and we read in John that Jesus came into the world 
that he himself created. And then the Spirit is there too. Why? Because they do everything together. Everything. They think alike. That's what Jesus meant when he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Not that because he is the Father, but you wouldn't really see much different because what the Father thinks is what the Son thinks. And how the Father acts is how the Son acts. They live in complete harmony. In fact, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but when you read in the letter of John, 1 John, it says, and God is love. Well, you have to have an object in order to practice love. Did God create the world so that God would have an object to love? Well, of course not. Because God is a community of persons. Before he spoke anything into existence, the time-space continuum and the material world as we know it in the universe that's ever-expanding. Before all of that, and even the scientists know that it, that it has a beginning because it's expanding. Go backwards and you come back to nothing. And some scientists are even so unorthodox to speak of, in the, in the, in the Latin, of, of creation ex nihilo. Creation from nothing. But before all of that, before the Big Bang, you know what there was? The same as there is. And the same as there ever shall be. I mean, that's why we sing that, 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 that anthem from the fourth century. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be world without end. Amen. Amen. And so the Spirit is creator, and the Holy Spirit is redeemer, and the Holy Spirit raises Christ from the dead, as we mentioned, etc., etc. And therefore, there are many things in the writings of the apostles that speak of the divine equality that exists between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so this divine equality that exists between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit seems simply a, a thing assumed to the apostles. I think it probably just flew out of his lips as Paul said it, closing what we know, the second letter to the Corinthians, as he probably had a secretary and amanuensis, somebody writing down as was the tradition in the day, as he dictated the letter. In fact, um, his indication that he didn't see very well, and not only was it tradition, but a necessity, apparently, with the Apostle Paul, who at the end of many of his letters would say, and now you can see with what large letters I add my own name, because he had been blinded <laughs> and didn't see very well. But he wrote this at the end, or dictated it, <laughs> at the end of 2 Corinthians, that great Trinitarian blessing. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, that is the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Because the Father is a source of blessing and the Son is equally a source of blessing. In fact, a source of grace. And the Holy Spirit as well. And Paul uses this kind of language because that's what God is, Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What's so remarkable is that this is the God 
that loves you and knows you each by name. In fact, I was reading something just the other day. Oh, it was. It was from Matthew 25. And Jesus says, And when I come back, when the Son of Man comes in all of His glory, He will come with, in the glory of His angels. And He will separate the nations like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. But anyway, when, when he, the, he says to the sheep, Because you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And then He says, Well done. And He says, And enter into the kingdom that has been prepared for you before the foundation of the world. And that really caught my eye when I looked at that. This is the God who loves you and who has a plan for you if you know him. This is the God that calls you and me into fellowship with him into a community that already exists between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Indeed, as someone has written, the point of the Christian life is not so much God, us making God a part of our life. This is how we almost exclusively think. I got my car, I got my job, I got my spouse, I got my family, I got my God. And then God is just one thing in the midst of all sorts of categories that we use to define what it's like to be us. The point of the Christian life is not so, uh, so much us making God a part of our life. Rather, the writer says, rather the point of the Christian life is God making us a part of His life. Come and commune with us. Come into us. And live your life where you're living it in communion with us. I wonder, is that how you're experiencing God? Are you a part of His life? Or is He one of many things a part of your life? <laughs> experiencing God as He truly is. Let us pray. Lord, if we're not experiencing you as you truly are, <laughs> what's the alternative? If we're not experiencing you as you truly are, then we're experiencing you in a way that you're not. And if what we're experiencing is what you're really not, then what is it? It's something else. It's not you. And so give us understanding and give us humility, give us a submissive heart to welcome the truth that you are God and we are not and to deal with you on the terms that you set, not us trying to fit you into the terms that we set. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have your way in us that we might know joy unspeakable and full of glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.